Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitkavich, and this is the podcast where you can discover debut authors through in-depth interviews about writers' life, their inspiration, and how their book came to be. If you like what you hear here, check out daybeautiful.net and follow Day Beautiful on all social media at Day Beautiful. We're entering the end of February 2020 here, and I just want to let everyone know who is listening that Day Beautiful is putting out a t-shirt that was designed by Herbie Hancock out of Philadelphia. We had a lot of fun with this. Um, it'll be revealed soon, but basically I want you to know that I told him, make it look like this was a late, mid to late 90s library t-shirt, and boy did Herbie deliver. So please support Herbie, and I'll link him in the show notes. And support Day Beautiful. Keep us ad-free. I have tried to make this as off the radar as possible. I want to not have ads on the site or on the podcast. And by buying this shirt that's going to launch in March will help me keep this dream going. Help keep Day Beautiful a place where readers can discover debut authors. Today's guest has degrees in English and journalism from the James Madison University. His MA in English from the University of Virginia. His fiction and nonfiction have appeared in Foglifter, Epiphany, Crazy Horse, The Florida Review, and many, many more. His debut book, Let's Get Back to the Party, is out now. Today's guest is Zach Sala. Hey, Zach. How's everything going in your neck of the woods? Is everyone happy, healthy? Hi, safe? Adam. Thank you for uh, for having me on. Um, everyone is, is very fortunately... Um, uh, healthy and safe. I suppose happy is is sure. very uh, qualitative. I mean, yeah. we could all stand to be happier, um, but I feel like as long as we're uh, healthy and safe, especially in a city like Washington D.C., it mm. uh, it makes all the difference. So, um, so yeah, I'm 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 here. Awesome. I did not know you were in Washington D.C. for some reason. How? Let's. I, I do want to know how was like the inauguration and everything like for the whole city, like everything safe, sound. Yeah. Well, so I, I don't know if you heard, but we had a little insurrection here. Um, maybe it, it <laughs> maybe it didn't it didn't get around to the news in in your part of the country. Yeah, and um, I, I I try to pretend <laughs> I didn't exist, but I guess yeah. Like walk me back from like your your book's coming out, and we'll talk about that. But the beginning of the the year of your debut year, yeah, we start with an insurrection and then a new inauguration. How how are you mentally? Right, we have an insurrection. There's a new inauguration. There is an ongoing pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. I'll tell you this, Adam, and you know there there is a lot of, you know, I'm sure along with the other writers you've talked to, there's so much anxiety um, and stress and fear about being a, a novelist, let alone a, a debut novelist. Mm -hmm but it's kind of tempered when you realize just how crazy everything is going on around you. You feel very fortunate that, that these are the, the anxieties that you have. Like I'm worried about my book and what people are going to think. Like, you know, when there's just a lot of, you know, mass casualty and, and, you know, political chaos, um, it really just kind of puts one's, one's anxieties about writing in, in, in a little bit more perspective. For sure. Yeah. I, I keep thinking about, this past year has just been wild. I mean, obviously this, that goes without saying, but especially for debut authors, I just remember recording a podcast that was, it was with Chelsea Beaker. It was coming out in April when her book came out, but we recorded it like on March 14th, like when everyone started working from home. Yeah. And yeah. it's just wild to think like we're still in it 10 months later. It's, it's a whole other world. And you know, I, you know, I've, I've, I've wanted to be a writer since I was a child and, and I'd be a liar if I said I didn't have fantasies about what, you know, debuting a novel would be like, but in, in none of these fantasies did I ever envision 
the kind of world that we're that we're living in now. So the, the universal always ends up surprising you somehow. And your book, Let's Get Back to the Party, comes out in mid-February. It'll be out by the time this podcast comes out. Um, tell readers what it's about, and I want to really dive into a, a lot about it. Yeah, yeah. So Let's Get Back to the Party is my debut novel. Um, it is set in Washington, D.C. Um, in the year between the marriage equality ruling in 2015 and the Pulse nightclub shooting, which took place um, almost exactly a year later in, uh, in June of, of 2016. Um, and it follows the journeys of, of these two 30-somethings. They're estranged childhood friends. Their names are Sebastian and Oscar. They couldn't be any more different. Um, they're both, they reconnect at this wedding and they're both there and they're both miserable for entirely different reasons. Um, and so the novel is really just kind of an exploration of, of this year in their lives and, and you know how they come to reckon, not just with their friendship, but, but really kind of also with their place um, in the larger history of the gay community as, as part of this kind of, or for lack of a better term, hinge generation uh, to which I belong, um, a generation that, that really has no firsthand experience with the AIDS plague, um, but also unfortunately, you know, couldn't really benefit from the kind of increased visibility that we're seeing more of, um, you know, or at, at younger and younger, yeah, younger yeah. ages. And, and I was gonna bring this up later, but I'll just dive right into it because it's something that I've been talking about with friends. You said like the gay community and I remember, mm -hmm. And I use queer community and I am cis, white, straight man. Like I just have a lot of queer friends in the queer community. And yeah. I remember I was talking to an older, uh, older friend. I worked in a bookstore and he's like in his sixties. And when I said that he was kind of like, he, he I, I, I saw like a reaction, like a flinch. Mm -hmm. And like the idea of using that word, where do you land and where do these characters land on queer culture as opposed to the gay community? Does that make sense? Well, I, I would say these characters land on completely opposite sides of the spectrum. I think the character of Sebastian would probably not feel comfortable being described as queer specifically because his fantasy is, is one of kind of, 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 of equality in the sense of, you know, being just like everyone else. Whereas I think the character of Oscar, who is, for various reasons, very unhappy with this kind of pursuit of marriage um, would really embrace the kind of radical term uh, queer. I, you know, I, I personally, and I am by no means an authority on this. Um, I, I kind of oscillate between the two when I'm talking about this novel and it's specifically about gay men. I tend to use the words, the term the gay community. Um, but I think gay men are just one facet of, of a larger queer community. And, and in many cases, I think the journeys of, of gay men and, and, and other queer people um, are very similar. They're also, of course, very different as well. But um, my hope is that some of the through lines in this book are really not specific either to gay men and also maybe not just specific to the queer community, but just, you know, what everyone aspires to write to, which is just the, the human community. No, exactly. And I, and I think that's important. I feel like I'm not an authority on anything ever, um, especially like gay culture, the queer community, anything. Um, but I've noticed a lot online as like RuPaul's Drag Race has become very mainstream. And a lot of my friends who maybe have never experienced that community or had friends in that community. It's interesting to see like what's becoming mainstream and how people are talking about it. Yes. You know, yes. Yeah. And is and is is something kind of lost when when that all becomes mainstream. That's certainly a a, 
a kind of sticking point that that the character of Oscar has is you know if if everyone's watching RuPaul's Drag Race, including you know Grandma and Grandpa, you know is it is it really so radical anymore? And and you know is is something lost when when that kind of you know just becomes you know just another mainstay of of general culture? Yeah, and I feel I was reading. I watched Paris is Burning. Re- I'm just talking about Drag Race. I I, re- I rewatched it. Oh, it's a great film. And I've seen it many times before, but I haven't seen it since I grew as a person. And like, and like I watched it. You know, I'm 32 now, so I watched it probably like when I was 26. So like a, half a decade has passed, and it's mm-hmm. so interesting to see. Like I, f- I forgot. You know, I forgot that I forgot so much about what history had as exi- like what, what. Yeah, I'm just stumbling through words. But it's interesting because I just am like, yeah, like everyone is accepting and this is like normal. And it, yeah, and it, a lot and of- it always has been normal. Sorry. I, but mainstream culture, straight that people didn't call it normal. You know what I mean? No. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I also think this is the luxury of of, of looking back on things. Right. Like everything. What What is that? What is that line about? Um, I don't know who said it, but it's something about like the past. They do things differently there. Like it's it's. It's it's amazing just how much even the near the recent past feels like such a, a historical document. That, that sounds kind of stupid, but it just in the sense that it's it seems so far removed from where we are now. Even a year ago, um, you know, it seems like just like time is just moving in in just a, in a strange way. I don't know. I can't really. Yeah, and that. your book is a recent historical fiction. I mean, like I won't I won't call, it, but you know, it's it takes place in a very specific time. Yes, yeah. That is very similar, but also very different to today, 2021. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, it is obviously um, pre-Trump administration. Um, it is obviously pre-pandemic. So it, it reads like, like history in, in that sense too. Um, you know, people are, are going out to restaurants and, you know, just doing things in, in crowds and groups. And I suppose... It, in the context of right now, when we're having this discussion, when this book is coming out, that just seems very uh, perplexing um, in a way that 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 I and and probably no writer could really plan for. Yeah. And your your book, like we said, it's, it starts with the Supreme Court ruling for marriage equality. When? Yeah. So this book, obviously, the genesis came after that. Or were you working on similar themes in these characters prior to that, and that got worked into the book? I, I I had been working on on I had been interested for a long time, even pre uh, Supreme Court ruling, mm-hmm. on telling a story about two men comparable to my age who just had very very different ideas about what it means to be gay and and how someone expresses that and and what things people value um, and having those kind of come into conflict with one another. Um, it took me a long time to actually get up the courage to sit down and actually write the book for, for, so for so many years, I was just kind of batting it back and forth um, in my head. And then when I finally sat down to write it um, and, and thinking about when I would set it, I, I started writing it in, during the Trump administration. And I, I had no real interest about incorporating um, that man into my book, to be quite honest. But at the same time, I, setting it right beforehand really, I think, created a kind of a, a palpable sense of dread, um, which is is something that I certainly 
wanted to create through this novel, this idea that there are, you know, really terrible things coming, not just for the queer community, but for, but for anyone with, with half a brain in civil society. Um, and in terms of setting it actually it, in that specific year, I mean, it, it, it was a very kind of um, um, very terrible symmetry, right? Like you, you start in June with this moment of very public celebration. Um, and then you end almost a year later with this, this moment of, of very public trauma and, um, and mourning. And that kind of, those kind of bracketed events to me really just kind of encapsulated, you know, just the, the, the struggle itself, right? Like there are victories and there are losses. And unfortunately, um, you know, just trauma is, is, is for, for better or for worse, you know, part of what it means to be, part of what it means to be queer. I think part of what it means to belong to any uh, minority group in this country. Um, and also, you know, part of what it means to, to be human. Like we, we all experience trauma, whether it's, it's public trauma, whether it's, it's kind of more personal trauma. And I would argue that, um, you know, both kind of shape us in, mm -hmm. in certain ways, so. Writing this book during, you know, the, the past four years or, you know, during the Trump administration. I just try to avoid his name as possible. So I usually say the past four years. Um, That's fair. I, I know, I think, I know. What you <laughs> which just seems like it was a series of down notes, like for yeah. many of us, like half of America felt it was great, but whatever, that's a whole nother mm -hmm. topic. But like people like you and me who just started living our life, who felt like it was just like, just shit being piled on top. What yeah. was it like going back and writing something that's, you know, there's obviously very high highs and very low lows in your book, but it was a different period. What was it like revisiting that for you, like, you know, a different time period almost? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it really, it really highlighted a certain kind of naivete, right? Like I, I, and I think so many, and I think this is just a, a natural feeling with the passing of the marriage equality ruling, um, I just remember, you know, in those, in those first days afterwards, just having this very naive thought of like, you know, oh, well, that's it. Like, you know, we've, we've solved all our problems. Like gays can, you know, queer people can, can get married now. And, and um, you know, everyone else is going to fall in line. And, and of course, you know, history has, has proven us wrong. And, and it's not, it's not, it's an imperfect comparison, but I, I think, you know, with the same kind of naivete that I thought about in, in 2008 when, when Barack Obama was elected president and, you know, I had this, this very childish, but, but very kind of emotionally palpable thought. Um, I remember walking home from an election party thinking, wow, like, this is it. Like, you know, we've solved the race problem in America. And of course, I mean, look where we are now. So you, you, in kind of visiting the past and, and, looking at it from the perspective of where I am now, it, it to me, it, it, it made me understand maybe how, um, certainly how, how naive and, and how silly I was and, and how any kind of victory um, in, 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 in society is, is usually ends up being more tempered than, uh, than you would expect when you first hear the news, if that makes sense. Oh, definitely. And the, I'm just bouncing all over the place. These characters, they are so, cause I do want to talk more about the books. I, I, I tend to like shy away from that because I hate sport, ruining it for readers. But if they're listening to this, they probably read the book. These <laughs> characters are so unique. And you said like they're at, at completely different ends of how they feel about where they are in life. And that's something you had been toying with. 
mm-hmm. how much of yourself did you put into each of these characters do you do you connect with both of them or do you lean more one way if that makes sense i mean i i connect with both of them i obviously lean yeah. one way more mm-hmm. than the other um and um but but to me it w- it was it was important to find the connective tissue between between both of them i mean i i am obviously much more of a, a sebastian mentality uh, than an oscar i i don't think i don't think anyone who knows me would be surprised by that i don't think most readers would be surprised by that because sebastian definitely has the 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 kind of the brain and the thought process of of a writer to begin with um but what you know with oscar who's whose beliefs and and whose experiences are are relatively far removed from mine i mean it was it was really still important that i that i kind of like i said found that connective tissue and to me i mean you know these are both they're they're men you know in terms of their age but they're still you know very much boys um and you know i was very fortunate enough not to have the kind of childhood that that Oscar has. And so in, in, in kind of creating him, I thought, well, what would have happened? What kind of person would I be like if I came out to my family and my father said, I'm gonna pay for your college and then I don't ever wanna see you again. And I think I would end up being like him. I think I would end up being very just angry and disrespectful and kind of superficial and, and kind of not not really connecting with basic, you know, mm-hmm. human connection, you know. And, and so, that, so it was it was more of a thought experiment. Yeah. Uh, in writing Oscar. There, there was more of an imaginative leap for for me as a person based on on my own kind of perspective and my own beliefs and, and my own experiences. There's been a lot of gay media like Moonlight, um, A Little Life, which is obviously written by a straight woman. Mm-hmm. But and this idea of like gay stories need to be heavily trauma based mm-hmm. you know and and that's come into play like i've seen on twitter like i just want like a gay rom-com and that's the thing now that's like like that's out there yeah, but for a long yeah. time i feel like media needed like sh- like straight media executives were like it's not this isn't how the story is do you feel like you added trauma because you said you know that there's the high of the highs and there's trauma that's part of life writing his trauma i guess was that a dark place for you writing it? Or like, I know you said you felt it was necessary, but how was it for you? Yeah, it, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a, a dark place, but you know, I'll, I'll tell you, Adam, one of the biggest hurdles that, that I had to overcome in writing this book was, you know, if, if you are writing about members of, of a marginalized community, right? There is this enormous um, responsibility that you carry, right? And so for a long time, I, I was really operating under the burden of that responsibility and, and, and it was preventing me from writing. Um, so <laughs> perhaps this is irresponsible, but the, the, the real breakthrough for this book became when, when, you know, when I said, fuck it, like I, I do not, if I am not going into this having to convince the reader of the inherent dignity and self-worth of, of gay men and queer people, I, I have no interest in, trying to persuade anyone. That that to me seems like a waste of my time. I would rather focus my energies on, on, on making Sebastian and Oscar as, 
as complicated um, and as messy and, and, and as human as possible. And, you know, we, we need both stories, right? We need stories that are, that are very uplifting and are, that are very encouraging and that, that aren't rooted in trauma. But, you know, for, for my instincts as a writer and reader, the, the, that wasn't the story, you know, that, that, that I wanted to tell. I find messy, damaged people to be so much more enjoyable to, to read about them. And characters who you know have their shit together that that to me doesn't make for for an interesting reading experience and that of course is not to discredit the the importance of of having very positive role models but i never i never put this novel in 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 the context of i never wrote it thinking that i was trying to to perform some some act of social good mm-hmm. i'm with you on like i want my books and movies and tv shows to just leave me wrecked and like i, I want the characters to just maybe I don't like them, you know, not, and uh, I, and when I lived in Phoenix, I ran a book club where I paired a novel with a short story collection, like with a similar theme. Okay. And so I picked most of the books. Um, and like my friend's mother had read the books as well, but like didn't come to the book club and said, is there something wrong with Adam? Like, is he okay? Cause I was always, I was like, that's just what interests me. Why do yeah. I want to read about roses you know i want to read about the messy side of life right save that save that for your normal life but in like your creative reading life i I mean i say you know the messier the possible i think that's why i I love philip roth characters so much is because they're just they're the kind of people you absolutely would want to stay as far away from as possible in real life but when you're when you're seeing the world kind of through their their eyes and and through their voices i mean it's there's a there's a sick kind of pleasure in that I feel like that says something very primal about us as as human beings perhaps but Mm -hmm. um yeah that's yeah it's just my that's my that's my literary kink so I am with you and with with your novel as you wrote so you wrote it I I do want to get into like the craft because I'm such a nerd about this so you had been thinking about these ideas for you know before the Supreme Court thing uh not thing the Supreme Court thing like it's (laughs) Uh, the Supreme Court ruling on marriage equality yeah. And then you start writing it during the Trump administration. You bounce it back because you don't want to write about him in your life, which makes sense. How long have, what did it take, I guess, from conception to, I guess, selling it? Like when you when it was done the first time? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, you know, I've, I've in, in, now that I've started to, to really talk about, about mm-hmm. this book, not just about the contents, but about, you know, kind of the, the crafting of it, I've... Uh, it's been impossible for me not to draw comparisons between coming out. Um, so my experience coming out versus my experience, I guess, for lack of a better term, coming out as, as a writer, um, as a writer of fiction. I, you know, so when I came out, I came out in the summer of 2005 and I, I, I mean, I, I had been completely closeted before then. I, I didn't even have the luxury of, of having a secret life. You know, I, I, I just, it was just festering in my brain. So when I came out, I was just, it had been pent up for so long that I was determined to come out to anyone and everyone. Uh, and I did in like the first maybe two months after that, I just wanted to get it over with. So in in, the, in that same regard, I mean, I had been thinking about this book for a long and long time, long, long time um, and, and been very just petrified about the idea of taking a risk and, and, and actually writing fiction. Um, so when I finally committed to do it, it was in the winter of 2017. And I had, you know, I maybe wrote a first draft in maybe like 
two, three months and then gave it to some friends and they gave me helpful feedback and then, you know, maybe went through, I can't remember, like two or three more drafts um, and then started um, trying to find an agent um, that fall in November. So it was, it was relatively quick. A, I, I tend to be a generally quick and, and kind of productive writer, you know, just in terms of, of churning out volume of volume of words, um, even though, you know, the majority of them are, are, are probably crap to begin with. Um, yeah, so it, it, I guess it was kind of, it was kind of fast in that regard, but only I think because the kind of spirit of the book had, had just been with me for so long, as no. opposed to me, you know, sitting down in, in 2017 with, with no idea what to, what to write about. And I love that parallel of, of those two stories about how it's just, it was a part of you for a long time. And then it, it, it came, the story came out. Um, yeah. You know, it'll, it will, it will, it will force itself out. If you don't, <laughs> um, you know, if you don't, if you don't accommodate it, it will. Um, yeah. What were your friend's notes? I mean, not very specific, but broadly, what, what was their initial feedback for the story? Well, the thing that was key to me was, their encouragement. Um, I have a, a, a really good friend of mine who, who is a writer. He was the first person I gave pages to. Um, and I, I think about an alternate universe where he gave them back to me and said, this is just terrible. And then I, I don't think I would be here today. Uh, so he, you know, and he's obviously very good at, at giving concrete feedback, both from a story level and, and from a sentence level, which is why I just feel so lucky that he's, um, and still that he is and, and, and still is um, eager to, to read my work and to give me feedback. But to me, the most important thing in those beginning stages was encouragement, right? I, I wanted, I didn't, I didn't care if, if people didn't like the story or, you know, if they had, if they had edits, I just wanted people to tell me, look, is this, is this writing good enough that you would take it seriously? Like that it's, that it's, it's, it's serious enough that it deserves the time and strength and effort that it would take to to improve it, and 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 I did get that encouragement, and I think that was that was kind of all I needed to to really um, to push on. Also, and it's it's also um, you know very protective armor for when you give a manuscript to someone and and you know they end up lovingly um, you know tearing it apart. You you kind of have to go back and and rem remember that um, that initial encouragement, and it and it kind of it kind of prevents you from, from drowning. Mm -hmm. Once your agent and then editor got involved, um, what was that like for you? What was that like for let's get back to the party? How did, how did it change or stay the same? You know, <laughs> I feel like a, like a really, um, like a, like an imposter writer when I say, I mean, most of it was, it, it pretty much stayed the same. Um, you know, obviously things changed and, and, you know, there were, you know, maybe, maybe sections and, 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 and events that either disappeared or, or were fleshed out. Um, but, but the overall kind of spirit of the book was the same, the overall, you know, arc of the narrative that, as I had envisioned it. Um, it, yeah, it, 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 it stayed the same. I don't, um, yeah. Well, it's always refreshing. I always feel, I, I asked that a lot because I early when I was starting Day Beautiful and even before when I was interviewing more for other websites, I there was a story where a writer and I'll, I'll leave out as many details as possible basically said like, oh, there was so much feedback because they were afraid it wouldn't sell, blah, 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 blah. And yeah. I was like, yeah. and I love hearing now. And I, every time I ask it, it's always like, yeah, they, they 
bought the book for me and for what the book was, not what it could be. And that's always great to hear just more and more. And I want new writers who feel like maybe my book won't sell because X, Y, or Z, they know from writers like you or whoever else I talk to, it can sell and it, it, people. Yeah. 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 You you, you can sell an actual manuscript. You don't just have to sell a story idea, Mm -hmm. right? Like the, the work that you are submitting has merit on its own, you know? And, and, but I mean, that's also the nature of, of, of editing too. And I, and I can't speak for, excuse me, for agents and editors, but as a writer, I mean, you know, you could, you could tweak and, and rewrite and reshape and refashion, you know, forever. But I've, I've, I've learned really quickly that, you know, not writing, but the publishing side of writing is, is really an exercise in letting go. Like at a past a certain point, you, you have to trust that what you have, created is is as close an approximation to to what you had in mind beginning knowing that knowing that what you have in your head and and the physical object that you know you you submit to someone um will will never ever you know be the same right i I would i would i would my publisher would kill me but i would love nothing more than to keep retweaking um rewriting this book just just forever um and i don't know maybe that says a lot about me as a control freak but um but you just kind of have to trust that you've, you've done, I mean, look, my, my mantra is, or the, the, the kind of, the kind of mantra that's been, been keeping me sane lately um, is I just think, you know, look, I wrote the best book I could with the skills and experience that I had at the time. And I, and I really think that that's all that any writer, a, a debut writer or someone who's on their 50th book can, um, can and should expect of themselves. Mm-hmm. I love the whole story, but I, I love the book cover and the title. Let's get back to the party and then the close up of the man with glitter. And I yeah, do, I yeah. just want to talk about, I guess your, your experience with like, com- like working with a designer to get this to where it was. So yeah, I guess just talk a little bit about that. What was your, was let's get back to the party, the original title. No, it was not. It was, I was told that I had to change the uh, title for mm. various, I guess, um, Google search reasons. I that makes sense. still haven't, I was telling someone else this the other day, I still haven't figured out what that specific reason is. I only suspect that if people were Googling a manhood, they would be getting completely different pictures than the cover of the book, which I don't know. In my opinion, that could have been a very interesting marketing campaign, but nevertheless, nevertheless. Um, so it was my, it was, I was tasked with coming up with another title and um i just chose the the last um six words of, of the epigraph and um it um it's one of those instances where you know i was very leery to change the title but now that it's changed i couldn't think of of calling it anything else so it just it ended up being very fortunate that way yeah no so a manhood was what a, you worked manhood on. yeah which is actually the title of, of one of the sections of the mm-hmm. novel that was an, originally intended to be the 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 title for the entire the entire project yeah i could see googling that and i don't know many things could possibly come up <laughs> i mean what you couldn't accuse me of false advertising though no, right that's a novel about gay men called the manhood and, you know. <laughs> yeah and then and then the book cover it, it i I think there was someone on Twitter recently who's like, I love this book cover. I don't know if you were tagged in this conversation. And I said, oh, it reminds me a lot of House of Impossible Beauties by Joseph Cacera, which is about, you know, the queer community in 1980s Harlem. And I, and I love both. And they're obviously both unique and they stand on their own. But how did this book cover come to be? 
Oh, well, that is such a great book. So that's a very generous um, comparison to make. Thank you. Um, so I so I had some initial ideas for a cover. Um, my boyfriend is a graphic designer. So he actually kind of created some mock-ups um, and then sent, I, I sent them through me to, to the publisher. Um, and they kind of did their own brainstorming and then they came back and this was the first cover that they sent me was this, this final cover, the way it appeared. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, what more is there, what more is there to say when you're presented with a cover like this, um, which is not something that I had ever thought of um, and certainly not something that my boyfriend mocked up for me, um, but it's just, it's just incredible. It's just incredible. It's just incredibly stunning to the point where I feel like you pay twenty five ninety five for this amazing cover, and you oh, also get words too. It's like <laughs> artwork, yeah. And and I love that you say that you like came up with your own ideas because earlier, like I'm kind of control freak. I like the I, I, it's hard letting go. And I yeah, I'm kind of I I haven't attempted to write a novel earnestly, but I could definitely see myself in the future. Be like here's some mockups. Like just trust me. I, I'm not a yeah. graphic designer, but here we go. No, and, and, you know, to be fair, I mean, one of the many, many great things about working with a publisher like Algonquin is, is they were completely receptive to that. They wanted to see what I, I had in my head, even though they obviously know better than I do kind of what works in terms of, of, um, of a book cover. I mean, look, the, the purpose of this book cover is to get someone, if, if someone, you know, sees it either, well, it'd be mostly online now, but in a bookstore, you would want to pick it up and at least, at least read the flap. And I think this this cover just does it. And, you know, before I forget, I think credit should absolutely go to, um, to uh, David High, who's the, the artist who, who designed the cover. And then along with the, the art team at, at Algonquin, they just, yeah. I just, they did, uh, they did an incredible job. Yeah, as someone who stares at book covers all day, just for like Day Beautiful, like putting together graphics and, mm -hmm. you know, scrolling, it's, they knocked it out of the park. And I'm not just like saying this because I'm on a podcast with you, like I, I'm like curating my like, oh, these are the best book covers so far, like for June, like I'm ready for it. And this is already yeah. like, on, it's, it's placed onto it already, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, just 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 so dumbly lucky to have someone like David High be assigned to, mm -hmm. to, um, to design the cover. So yeah, it, I'm, I'm just a, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just so, I'm very happy. The cover is a success, whether the inside is a success <laughs> up to individual readers, but well, I don't yeah. think people can say that the cover is, is not a success. Well, and I'm just curious if you're willing to talk about it, what were your initial ideas for the book cover? Just because I, I feel like a lot of newer writers and people who are working on their first novel have these ideas just like you had, like for mock-ups of their novel. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, uh, you know, there's there's obviously so much art in this book. I mean, mm -hmm. one of the characters is, is a high school art history teacher. Mm -hmm. um, he uses art kind of as, as a way to... Um, it's kind of his way of, of, of seeing and, and kind of his past and, and kind of how he, how he kind of articulates himself is, is by, you know, making these connections between his past and these, these works of art that he, you know, encounters through either in museums or, you know, in his classroom. So the, some of the first covers were, were, um, you know, details of, of some of the artworks that, oh, okay. um, that figure pretty heavily in the book. Um, yeah, that was that was just kind of my that was my basic 
my inkling of, of yeah. what it should, what it should look like. Yeah, yeah. I was just curious. Um, oh yeah. And now that the book is coming out, and you still want to tweak it because that's who you are, <laughs> where do you where do you take your writing from here? What what's interesting you moving forward? Well, I, I am working on a couple other projects, which I, th- I think is is good because it 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 helps distract me from from spending too much of my kind of obsessive nature focusing on 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 this book. Um, so, kind of half of my brain is already with those projects, and then you know, just just given the 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 huge lag of time between when a manuscript is finished and and when it actually you know you you go around and, and start talking about it. So I'm kind of living in in parallel creative universes right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Um, and then just wrapping up, first of all, I wanna thank you so much for talking to me and the listeners won't know this, but we had to push this back because construction. Um, so thanks for being so flexible. I really love the book. Um, what are you reading? What are you loving right now? What am I loving? I have been shouting from my rooftop about um, Pew by Catherine Lacey, mm. uh, which I just, first of all, just from a, from a pure design standpoint, the, the design of that book is incredible. Um, and, and the story is just, it's, it, um, it kind of reminds me of all the reasons why I, I love Flannery O'Connor, yet at the same time, it's just, it's this own distinctive kind of uh, like Southern Gothic fable. I, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those great books that, that you really, you have such a hard time kind of pinning down. And, and that's kind of one of the reasons why it's great. Um, and I had, I had never read any of, um, of Catherine Lacey's books before. So I certainly um, will be going and, and reading the backlist after, after that. Um, and then there are just, I mean, there are no thanks to you. There are, there's so many great books to, to, to look forward to. I really just have to make a point of, of carving out time to, to read them. A major thank you to Zach Sala, who came on the podcast today to talk about his debut book, Let's Get Back to the Party. You can find him at his website, zacksala.com, and on Twitter at zmsala1982. I'll link those in the show notes. As always, you can follow Debutiful at Debutiful on all social medias. Yes, even on Facebook. I am still there. Or please go to the website, debutiful.net. Please also review this show on whatever podcast forum you listen to it on. I want to make sure that these debut authors are visible and by reviewing my show helps me get their word out there, their books out there. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful and you're all beautiful.